Hi, my name is Marcel de Cruz, and you're listening to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 105 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week, I speak to Marcel De Cruz. Marcel is the strength and conditioning coach of top 20 player Casper Ruud, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. Marcel has been working with Casper for nearly 10 years, and we learn about that journey as well as his thoughts on the importance of strength and conditioning for tennis players. We also go over the differences between tennis players and basketball players, and we find out which tennis player would make the best Olympic bobslayer, as well as finding out what Marcel dead circuit looks like for Casper. As usual, a shout out to our podcast sponsor Slinger who make the awesome portable ball machine and they're working on a mobile app that will help you get better stats on your tennis. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the info on the Slinger bag. Okay, here we go. Hi Marcel, welcome to the Function Tennis Podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Sorry to drag you off the court there. We're on video. We're trying to do more on video here at Functional Tennis and saw Casper jump on there. What are you guys working on? Before we talk about you, can you let us in the little secret? How are you getting ready for the grass court? Right now, we're working on uh, more strength and quickness. When it's grass, things are moving a lot faster. We, we see a lot more kind of ligament uh, strain. It's working more uh, on uh, prehab for... Uh, strengthening the, the hips, the groin area, adductors, because when you're on grass, a lot of times you can slip faster on clay. It's more controlled when you're sliding and, and also on, on um, hard court, but on grass, sometimes you can slip really fast. And, uh, and it's easy when with quick reactions that you misstep a little bit and then catch something. So I want it to be strong in order to, to endure all the load that will be upon him uh, during this grass, grass season. Nice. And tell me, will you be going to Wimbledon? Not this year. So uh, I'm going to spend some time with uh, uh, my girls at home. So uh, now I'm going to enjoy that. And also been a long play season so far and a good one for Casper. And so he let me uh, have some time off. Grass is not his, his, uh, his favorite, so he... he He'll play and he's, he's ready, but it's a short season, so he, was, uh, he wanted me to be, be ready for that. It's going to be a long season, so it's clay again afterwards and then, uh, and then uh, hardcore. So. Nice. So he goes, okay, we give him a few weeks off and then he'll be working harder the rest of the year. So let's, let's talk a bit about you. You were telling me there you come from Brazil, but you're working in Norway. Yeah, I'm born in Brazil. My mother is Norwegian and my father's from Cape Verde, so I'm kind of a mix. <laughs> so I, I grew up uh, mostly in Norway, so, so that's why uh, it's easy for me to be here. But I, I lived many years in the States, uh, did most of my education there, so I'm ready to work all over, actually. So Nice. It must help come and have an international background because you travel a bit. So do you ever go back to your motherland home? Oh, yes. Uh, last year, uh, after after Rio opened, uh, uh, towards the end of it, uh, I, um, I had my, my girls come over, my wife and, and uh, stepdaughter. So they, uh, they came in. We stayed in Bucios for a week after and just enjoyed it. And then uh, didn't have time to visit too much of my family there, but uh, next time I'm hoping to spend more time there. 
Nice. Tell me, what's your official title? I guess it's a fitness coach for him. I have uh, both athletic training uh, and some therapy background, and uh, but my master's is in uh, in uh, exercise science. So uh, some people call themselves uh, an exercise physiologist or a fitness trainer slash yeah, uh, I guess fitness strength and conditioning and. How many years you've been working as a strength and conditioning trainer, physical trainer? Well, I got into it while I was an athlete myself, and uh, I started my studies then, and uh, and finished them off after uh, when I finished my career. So I've been working with athletes as a strength and conditioning coach uh, since early 2000. I've been working on it with training uh, before that also, but uh, but uh, full time since. Probably around 2003, 2004. 2004, I think, uh, was my last year competing at a at a high level. But uh, yeah, so 2004, I, uh, since then, full time. And what sport was your area of expertise in? Not tennis. Uh, I played tennis for fun. I, I really enjoyed it, and I still do. But uh, I was a professional basketball player, and uh, I also did uh, at a high level uh, track. I did long and triple jump, and track uh, led me into bobsled because they wanted big, strong, explosive athletes. So, so I did world championships there and uh, World Cup and stuff, and also played um, basketball in, in several countries. That's a great accomplishment there, and a good mix. And tell me, what similarities do you see between basketball and tennis? Many, because it's a multi, multi-directional sport. You have a lot of intervals. You have a lot of stop and go. You see a lot of the same strain on the body in terms of quick stops, and quick cutting, explosive movements, but still endurance. You have to have, obviously, a, a higher VO2 max endurance uh, in, in tennis than in, in basketball. But as for the intervals, the high intensity is very similar. Nice. And so I did my bachelor's on, on multi-directional movements and uh, I see a lot of similarities in, in terms of how I can train it for tennis as well as uh, in terms of quickness as well as for basketball. Uh, however, going through all the biomechanics in, in tennis, of course, there's a lot of differences uh, when it comes to how to create great power and how to, uh, to transfer that power through the arm, which is a little different than you do in basketball even though you use you know from the ground up they use the power from the ground and push through the hands but in in, uh, in tennis you have that rotational movement so you you want to contain uh, have a strong core and contain that power more in tennis and to to increase the velocity of the arm different than than in basketball and with that rotational movement gives us as trainers and as, as therapists a lot more uh, to work with in order to balance the body because it's whenever you have explosive rotational movements, there's a lot more strain on the on the back and the hips just to generate that force. And then of course doing this in movement is also it's also tough and on different surfaces. So there's a lot of things to learn about to be a good fitness coach, I think. There's a lot of people that sometimes can be lucky and fortunate enough to have an athlete that is so strong genetically that that oh yeah we can basically just work on core and and, uh, 
injury prevention stuff, but uh, most players also need to to train how to develop force, develop strength, develop power, as well as staying injury free. And um, I think much of the 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 bottom line for for us uh, for uh, that work with these athletes is to build a body that can endure a lot of tennis without getting injured. That's that's the most important thing. And then, oh yeah, increase quickness, increase power and such, great. But if, if the athlete is not able because he's not that fit enough to train a lot of tennis, it's never going to be a, a good enough player. And it takes years to build up that core base. Like, tell me, before I move on to it, are basketball players better tennis players or tennis players better basketball players? <laughs> Good question. I think um, I, I, I spoke to Djokovic, to Rafa, and some of the, those greats, and uh, uh, obviously Casper. So all of them are, are good basketball players. So, so I'm uh, maybe more uh, Djokovic. He, he, they play a lot in Serbia. Uh, so I'm guessing that uh, maybe maybe uh, the tennis players are better basketball players in terms of skill, but yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Sadly, <laughs> and have we seen Djokovic play a lot of basketball recently? Post a lot about it, but from a fitness point of view, like we've seen Roland Garros, how tough it is, how unbelievably good fitness. Djokovic's and all the other guys are not just him he's just the extreme and I'm sure Casper's fitness level is you know it's up there are tennis players do you reckon one of the fittest type of athletes in the world I've uh, been asked that question before and uh, I definitely think so when it comes to well just fitness if you look at it as a whole for a strength and conditioning coach this is a sport that uh, where you need to be strong you need to have a strong core. Uh, the kinetic chain has to be solid. You have, uh, you need uh, quick legs. You need endurance. You need timing. You need uh, strategy. You need mental toughness. So, so there, there's so many, uh, so many factors that come, aspects that come come into play, which you don't see in uh, very many other sports. And I don't see any sports that where you have that full package that you need because. If you're a football player, for instance, or a basketball player, so you have teammates, you can have an off day and can still win. If you have an off day as a tennis player at this level, sorry, you know, that's how tough it is mentally. And then physically, of course, you, you see a lot of different players out there. And for Casper, just to kind of differentiate a little bit, he, he, he loves play, obviously. And uh, since he is a clay player, and although he's, a lot better on, on build surfaces as well, and, and uh, we're still building to, to make it uh, improve on that. On, on play, uh, the player has to be able, I think, uh, to generate more power. You see a lot of hardcore players that use the, the speed of the ball from the opponent when it's a fast, fast paced uh, match like that. They're up there, they can play against anyone, but when they have to gen- generate more force themselves, they struggle more, and and we've had a, a goal for for Casper to uh, to be able to generate that force himself from the ground up, especially through his forearm, but now also through the backhand, so that you know, although the the pace of the ball is that uh, it's not fast, he can still generate a winner on his own and not be uh, having to wait for a fastball coming towards him. 
So, so stuff like that, we try to emphasize more on the strength part since his, his, he really wants to perform well on clay. Although if he was more of a hardcore player, I wouldn't make him as, as strong because the more weight, the more you have to run around him. You can see some of the, the really good hardcore players that are very, I mean, although they can really perform on all surfaces, but you see a, like a young Yannick Sinner or Deminar so quick, so fast that they're, they're not as strong physically when it comes to, uh, when it comes, you know, weight-wise, muscle-wise. But of course, these guys can still generate power. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think if they were focusing on more on play, they would probably have to build a bit more strength in order to get a heavier shot to, you know, to generate a heavier shot themselves. But looking at Djokovic, as you said before, for instance, you have a player that can both generate force, but still, you know, play with a quickness is one, what, four or five Wimbledons. So he can play quick and he can, he can, uh, he just won't play. Uh, no, I think I think you have to mold the player to try at, at least what I'm the way I'm thinking for Casper is to mold him into a, a player that can play all surfaces, and the more strength physically, the more muscle you have, the more uh, you have to balance that with endurance, with flexibility, how well your uh, your buffer system is, because the more muscle the more lactic acid you can create so you have to balance everything out so he can maintain his level of tennis the the best that he can be so so my goal is that it's not going to be his fitness that prevents him from from winning sometimes you have a good day on on tennis court sometimes ball goes in sometimes it doesn't but i don't want him to be uh, in a position where he was Two nothing up in a, in a grand slam, but he just can play through all five sets. But you know, at least that's the goal. It's it's hard to pinpoint exactly why a player didn't win a certain game, but at least we have to have goals and, and try to measure ourselves up to. Yeah, if you take the boxes, you're putting yourself in the best possible scenario. And tell me, you said you talk about having more muscle it means you can generate more lactic acid. Of course, the more muscle breakdown the more lactic acid you can produce. It depends on, especially, of course, on what intensity. So, so if you're able to say you have the VO2 max and threshold and you try to build that up so that he can still play at a high level without generating too much lactic acid. But of course, the more muscle that you have, the possibility is there if you sprint for several balls or long, long rallies, you will generate more lactic acid than a slimmer person because you weigh more and you have more muscle that you generate power from. So it's a good and a bad thing. Good thing is when that power is, is with you and you're balancing your fit is, is great. But on the, uh, on the negative side of it is, is when that works against you, then maybe you wish you were a little slimmer. <laughs> But then it depends, obviously, how good your recovery is as well. And obviously, you have to get the balance right. You don't want too much muscle because that can be a cause of injury then. There's so many things to, to, to worry about because if you have too much muscle or you need much muscle tension, but not too much, 
you need the muscle to be elastic. You, you want the elastic component, but you also want strength to support and stabilize the kinematics of, of a serve, for instance. So I could easily, you know, just strengthen him so that he will never have problems with, with the shoulder, but then that will decrease his, his performance. So, so you need to, it's, I, at least I feel it's, it's a balance of how much you let the arm go so that he has the quickness, he has the elasticity and, and to stimulate that power, but no one to set the brakes on or else when you push that too far, then you probably get some tender or, or even worse ligament damage. And that will, you know, take you out of the, out of the ballgame for, for too long. Muscle injuries usually don't take that that's more of a recovery and and uh, and just hold you doesn't hold you back and if you if you build the right strength it will it will endure better all the all the all the, the strain that you put on it but if if the muscle is not there to help you then it's gonna uh, push more load on the ligaments and the ligaments have a lot of elasticity in them so so which is good however the bad thing is if, if if you then overstrain those then you have bigger problems plenty of times i've heard where you get you get good juniors good people they play till they're out of college then they don't play for 6 years or they could have been good runners they go back running 6 years later and they try to get back to where they were quickly and of everyone ends up with ligament injuries all of them uh, definitely and that's why we've spent so much time on on building Casper's physique to have the right amount of strength to to have the right quality of the muscle as well because just having strength in the muscle doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's a good quality for, for tennis. You need capillaries, you need a uh, good enough my, a mitochondrial density in that muscle so you can recover better. In the, and especially for the muscles in, in tennis movement that are uh, prim- primarily used in tennis movements. So, so you want that as well as wanting more of the power, but the power the power fibers are not the recovery fibers or load endurance muscles. So you have, you need a little bit of both and then you have you need to try to find, figure out the right measurements for your player. Yeah, you're right there. It's better understanding your player and what works for their game and what works for their body. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. But I have two questions for you, Marcel, on bobsleigh. One, would Casper make the Norwegian bobsleigh team? And two, which tennis player would make the best bobslayer? The second one, the second question, I think maybe El Tank, Christian, Garin, because he's he's so strong, powerful. The, The bobsled weighs 320 kilos. And uh, you're supposed to explode with it. Size for like double the size they are now. I'm an old man and I don't lift heavy anymore. But uh, back then I was uh, lifting heavy and, and uh, working on explosive sprints all the time. So you need to be very strong, powerful. I think Casper now wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, but uh, give him a 
couple of years, uh, maybe. I think uh, I think he could develop into a good bobsledder. I think he'll go the golf route before he goes the bobsledder route. <laughs> That's so, right. So how old was Casper when you start working with him? Uh, he was 13, so uh, uh, he was a young kid. I think he had just turned uh, turned 13. We we didn't work like we do now, obviously, but uh, we did start working because his father, a former tennis player, uh, Christian Root, he he had a problem with uh, with his shoulder and had to had to cancel stop his uh, his uh, his career a little too early, probably like four or five years, comparing to uh, Federer, maybe ten years too early. And he understood because he had so many problems physically. He was strong, but he. He, he could have been with how we do things now, not just me, but everyone. That would have, that would have helped him a great deal. And he, he understood early that it would be important for Casper to, to have something set up good for him uh, from, a, from an early age so that he would go through, especially the, the peak height velocity uh, uh, phase uh, and then the puberty faces that a lot of people get injured and uh, all of a sudden they lose like three or four months of, of training. So luckily we managed to escape all injuries. Uh, still knock on wood, he, he has not any any big injuries at all. He, he's had some some uh, overuse, uh, like hit the ball a little bit wrong, got a little swelling in the, in the wrist. He had some smaller issues here and there and some some overuse uh, issues, but no real, real injuries that would that would hold him back for a month or more. So, so no, I can't think of any time where we couldn't train. Sometimes we train alternatively with me than tennis, but uh, but never in a position where he couldn't train. So we've been very fortunate in that sense, and um, so that we could just keep on building a, a body that that uh, could endure a lot of uh, hours on the tennis court. Yeah, I think that's important. Continue that momentum of players' development. And going back to when you start working with Casper, two questions there. What was Casper like as a 13-year-old? And was he fully dialed in? Did he believe, did he have the trust of his dad to fully commit to you, to the process? Yes, he did. He's still like that. I mean... Casper's very dedicated in, in what he does, and uh, he's the type of person that okay, if this if this uh, makes me win, I'll do it. And and uh, I've had him yeah, really feel like he's gone for all. He's been, I mean, he's been he's done. I push him so hard in so many directions, and it's like all right, if I don't if I don't get there, you're fired. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but. Um, no, he, he's, he's always uh, trusted the uh, trusted this this path and and my thoughts about how to build him as an athlete and uh, I I like to when I work with athletes I work with the several uh, top athletes and I like to explain why I do things so that they understand why and I think that also helped them to commit and understand why this is important for them because then they feel. Uh, Gives more ownership and and what they uh, what they do because you know if you're an athlete, uh, tennis or basketball or soccer or whatever, you want to do your sport. A lot of athletes don't want to spend that time that much time with me. Go figure. But <laughs> but uh, but they understand that this will help them train more, 
be able to to play the sport more, play the sport at a high level, and not get injured. And I think those are 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 good solid pointers to to have in the back of your head working with athletes. Another thing that I would like to add is is that it's very important if if you're a strength and conditioning coach uh, or a therapist or uh, someone working with a top athlete that you have to respect what they do because they have a limited uh, limited career and if you because you want your name out there if you want the fame of working with uh, an athlete uh, who has a name and, and takes on that responsibility when you're not really at that level yet if you're closing in of course you should jump into and, and, and try it. but if, if you understand that yes this is still a, lot, a little, little out of my league you should respect that that athlete enough to say that all right i would love to work together with you but maybe i should bring someone in or or, or work with together with someone and not take on that responsibility yourself because if you either create an injury or if you misdevelop them and develop them into something that, uh, for instance, good example is is tennis player goes to a personal trainer and says, "Yeah, I want to be stronger for tennis." Well, yeah, then uh, you need to be stronger. We're gonna make you lift a lot of weights. We're gonna make you so big and strong in the in the weight room. But if that strength and those moments can't transfer into increased performance, then that muscle is just extra load. That's gonna have a negative uh, effect on so so if you don't don't really understand and know what you're going to be curious be interested and be before in, in in terms of learning but make sure that you respect that player enough because if you waste a month a year of that just look at casper a year back where was he you know he was what 80 or something no no a year back yeah Something like that. I can't remember, recall exactly. But a lot of things has happened since then. So, and for another athlete, a lot of things can happen in a year. But if you have to help him, and if, if, if you're not sure if you can help him, either get help, help helping him or say that I would love to help you, but I need to develop more skills in terms of your sport or education or whatnot that you feel you need to be prepared. That's a very important point you make. And last week's episode, we spoke with a coach who took mentor and leadership. He's done masters, he's doing a PhD in them. And we talked a lot about mentoring and, you know, becoming better. And who for you, did you have a mentor? How did you improve your skills in your world of strength and conditioning? I've been uh, fortunate enough to follow uh, a lot of good trainers. And, and uh, for me, coming from sports myself, I was able to, uh, to follow other, other coaches, talk to them, have meetings, look at what they did, both at the Olympic Center in, in Norway, both with other national team coaches in different sports. So, so I've been able to, as, as well as education, of course, but I've been able to, uh, to uh, follow a lot of Good people that I that I think are are a lot smarter than me, and uh, and also uh, taking lots of courses, seeing what people other people are doing. Uh, vis- visited a lot of different uh, places, performance centers, and so on, just to see what they do, how they think, try to dig into their heads and, and understand why. Because I think too many too many people 
think that, oh yeah, I want to be uh, uh, science-based. Yeah, science-based is, is great, but you still have to understand why. And also when you become more and more experienced, you understand where science is. And science is, is like 10 years, five, 10 years after what the best people are doing. Because uh, people that uh, do science, they also look at, you know, the best people, what do they do? And then they test that to see whether that's actually really good. That's, that might be a better way to do it. And then they do tests on it. They, they have to set up maybe a PhD uh, for it. And then, and then when you have enough, then, all right, uh, maybe after 10 years, all right, now this is the new way to go. So, but in order to get there, you have to understand why you're doing things, what that does for the tissue, what, that, what are you trying to develop and make sure that if it's not working the way uh, you're trying uh, you're trying to do, you have to know why and uh, stop it. But you still, you still have to understand and learn and know what you're doing. And that's why I think it's so important to understand the anatomy, the physiology, the biomechanics of how things work and also the endurance. What does that type of endurance do to a muscle, do to the heart, do to the lungs so that you can understand the whole picture and working with tennis like I said before, you, you need you need a player to be reactive. You need you need to be balanced. You need to be stable. You need to have a good timing, coordination. Me and Casper, we we do a lot of times. We do football or soccer drills. Of course, with tennis, like a lot of other coaches, we also do with American football. We do basketball. I give him a lot of things also for basketball that I that I do. Try this, try this, because I know, for instance, that will develop this skill. I think it's good sometimes as long as we work on the right skills for a tennis player to kind of feel like a kid again and do something else. Because then you feel more free and like, yeah, I'm playing, but I'm also developing a skill. So I think that's good, especially for tennis where there's so much load and there's so much tennis, there's so much pressure. Mentally, uh, I think I think uh, with the fitness done correct, you can you can release a lot of that tension and still develop a lot of skills. Nice. I'm going to throw this back a few years. When I spoke to Casper, he mentioned, I think we were saying when he was 16, he took, he was advised by his dad to take the year off and not play many tournaments. I don't know many tournaments he played, but he limited schedule. And for him, that must have been hard because he wanted to compete and play tournaments and travel and get his ranking up. What did you guys work on back home to strengthen them? Uh, we worked on several things because the problem, especially when you get at, at a higher level, when you uh, come more into the senior level where, you, where performance is, is key, then, then it's hard to develop a lot. You don't have that much time to develop. It's more pre-season and then you try to maintain and you do a little here and there just to build, but you can't develop a player the same way. And at that time, when he started to get more testosterone, uh, going through puberty, we wanted to develop some, some strength, some more strength, some more stability in his, in his movements so that his kinetic chain would be better. We try to balance them because I've seen also, I've worked with other tennis players before that, and I've seen a lot of tennis players that, doesn't do good strength and conditioning work throughout uh, puberty. They tend to be very have too much asymmetry in their backs, in their in their muscle, in their arms, so and also in their hips. So, if you have that 
through puberty, you're going to run into a lot of problems later on. So I want to try to balance him because I, I saw both from athletes beforehand and also with him that these asymmetries start to be more, um, more prevalent. So we need to make sure that we could balance that out because he has long, he had a long career in, ahead of him. And we want to make sure that we would balance him physically through that period so that he would come out of there strong enough to really endure even more tennis. Because we know that the more tennis you play, you need to play a lot of hours of tennis in order to be, uh, be the best. And uh, for him to be able to build a body that could do that, we saw, uh, felt like it was important for him to, uh, to balance that out. That was some good long-term thinking. Like it's easy to do the, want the short-term results and those feel-good factors, but obviously, if you pull it back and you're thinking, he had the experience of his dad, which would have helped a lot. And I'm sure it was tough at the times. And yeah, I have to give him uh, Chris and props for that because he didn't know what to do. Uh, that's why I came in, but he understood that it was important. He saw that there's a lot of injuries, there's a lot of people that have problems. So, so he understood that. There was an issue that had to be taken care of, but then we talked a lot about it and I told him my thoughts and we agreed and as we still do, still uh, spar and both me him and Casper team in terms of, I, I say exact, exact what I feel. And I think it's a very good communication that we have there. And of course, sometimes I can uh, think too much about injury prevention or, or something and they think more that oh yeah but he has to four points he has to do this he has to play that tournament uh, now uh, but it's, it's come it's come to a certain level now that it's easier to to balance it out like we did for instance after Monte Carlo skipping Barcelona we were supposed to go there but then we decided it would be better for him and then play Munich and then Madrid and then have another tournament closer uh, instead of playing Rome, since he had points from, from last year, and then played Gestad instead, and it turned out very good for us. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And looking at a juniors, like 13, 14-year-olds, how many hours should they be spending with somebody like you per week? And what's the focus? I think that's individual, but everyone needs to, if they don't have a, a coach that that has the uh, good education and the knowledge of it. Like, um, for instance, um, Medvedev's coach, he also has a, a good education and educational background in, in exercise science, and therefore he can understand more about what to do with the, with the player in, in that sense. And uh, I don't know what he did before, but I'm sure there's a lot of other coaches that also have the, uh, some of this knowledge. But I think if they don't, they should see someone uh, like me at 13, 14 year, years old, at least three, three uh, days a week. If may, it might be in a group session, might be individual, but preferably there would be someone that understand, understands the issues that peak high velocity will have on the body, no matter what sport, what happens during puberty, how will this affect the different motor patterning, how the biomechanics, uh, for instance, one Easy example is, is a lot of people have knee issues uh, in, in, at that time because their legs get longer, arms get longer, the lever arm then gets longer, can re- generate more power, but they don't have the muscle to support it. And also 
they don't generate, for instance, from the hip as much because it's not developed. The glute area is not developed. So they just to perform better, they overstrip uh, the quads and then they get slaughters or jumper's knee, etc. So for someone like me, strength and conditioning coach or a physical therapist, a therapist or something that can work on the weak, uh, weak links on their bodies, make sure that they don't overload uh, the strengths like uh, safe generate power through the knee because kids tend to look at, you know, performance. I want to win. I want to get there. So I don't care how I just, you know, I just find a way. And, uh, and that way it's not always the best way over time when, uh, when you're at this development stages. So that's why just to hold them back and make sure that they don't overload and train the, the weak links also is very important. And then of course, with the motor patterning and, and, and such is, is also important because that will, your when gravity will be different, you, your balance will be different with the long levers. So there's a lot of things to stimulate that you don't see necessarily like uh, increased muscle size. Well, there's a lot going on for the juniors out there. My last question, Marcel, for you is, is there a Marcel de Cruz death circuit? What's your exercise that Casper hates the most that he will be gasping for an ambulance? I think uh, one exercise that we had during um, the lockdown here in, uh, in Norway, which, which uh, it's not an exercise that I would do too often because it generates too much lactic acid and will affect the quality of tennis too much if you don't have time to do these types of, uh, of exercises. I think it's good to do them, but you have to do them at the right time and make sure that you, you also discuss this with the coach so that you figure out uh, when's the best time. So, yeah. But what we did was uh, different drills and, you know, ski jump. And, you know, you have spectators and you have stairs alongside the ski jump. We did drills there, many different jumping, uh, hopping, different drills. The last one, when he, he was full of lactic acid, he had to run from the bottom every step all the way up. Uh, I have video. I, I don't know if I can show it. He, he, he was like, he was this close to firing me, I think. That sounds horrible. Have you ever seen the Red Bull, the mountain race? Actually, it's a ski run oh, yeah, race yeah, yeah. where they run up and people are on their knees at the end. And He looked like that. He, he could barely walk. He tried to stand up and he couldn't walk. He had to hold on to something. He, he almost fell. So, yeah, he, he was... It was Marcel, thank you very much. That was very informative. I appreciate your time. And yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Marcel, who is loaded with strength and conditioning knowledge and is a key part of the Casper Root team. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.